0: You know, I was um, turned on my computer uh, the other day. And uh, now this is maybe first time it was a couple of weeks back. I remember. And what popped up was this statement. It said, world's most beautiful women. And I think it was conducted by People magazine. And I don't remember if it was this year who it was. But what's her name? J-Lo? J-Lo. Yes. OK. That's she won apparently within the last year or two. I, I don't know. That was. It was this year. Okay. You saw the article. Okay, fine. All right. And I turned my computer on again the other day. On Thursday, popped it up. You know, I get that MSN thing that comes up. And down on the bottom, and I don't read this magazine. I don't even know what it is, but I'm just telling you what it said. It said, Maxim Magazine, whatever that is, Um, was it like the 50 hottest women around or something like that. You know. You know, I was thinking about all of that. Don't you find at the end of the day that that curses women? You know what I mean? I mean, because whatever the what, whoever chooses what the criteria is, and the criteria is all outward, as we're aware, right? It's either something that most women will never attain, or if you do attain, you won't sustain it. Because, you know, ladies... Things begin to sag and everything else. It's just look. It's part of life, isn't it? Isn't it part of life? I mean, I'm not here to be discouraging, but but let's face it. These are these are the way things work. But 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 you think about it from the world's perspective. It sets up a model which only leads to hurt women. And what I love about the scripture, the scripture sets forth a model of beauty that every woman who knows Jesus Christ can attain. Isn't that great? I mean, it's just, it's so different. And man, I would argue that we as husbands and fathers and sons need to take the same model and we need to put it up also. Because if we buy into the whole world model, we end up doing the same old thing. So what I want to do tonight, today, could be tonight by the time I finish. No, I'm kidding. Um, I want to look at two passages with you that talk about this topic. One from I I'd normally like to hang out in one text, but today I thought I might just do two, see how it goes, and still try to do it rather quickly. But one is from the Apostle Paul in First Timothy chapter two, and we'll start there if you want to flip over there. And the other passage is found in First Peter chapter three. Both Peter and Paul both have something to say about true beauty when it comes to women. And so basically what I want to do is I want to look at this passage, I want to first of all define what is true beauty from both paul and peter's perspective and obviously you're going to find they're going to say something very similar and then i want to ask the question why is it so beneficial to focus on this and the text tells us there's there's just all kinds of benefits for it so let's what is it first and secondly um what difference can it make in our lives first timothy chapter 2 <clears throat> And I want to focus here primarily, oh, let's look down. I mean, there's a lot. This, this is a great text on women. But we, we, we're not going to get into everything. I, I'm just going to focus in on verse 9 and 10 uh, in our time together this morning. The text says this, Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness, that is with good works. So, according to Paul, Paul, it's Mother's Day. We want to talk to women. We want to talk to girls. We want to talk to teenage girls. The whole thing. What do you think about this whole thing of beauty? Paul says, man, do I have something to tell you on that one? See, in Paul's day, and and, and when you read this, it's not saying here that, look, if a woman has um, something in her hair that's colorful, sin, sin, sin. That's not the point at all. But just so you know kind of what's going on in the first century, um, there was kind of a, a move toward what you might call the new woman, even in Roman culture. And you see it kind of reflected on a lot of the coins that are coming out in the first century. And and there was this idea that women should dress in a way that's modest and appropriate. But that kind of shifted for some of the women in the court. And in, And you can see this on some of their coins where it's like, look, it just doesn't mean that your hair should look nice. But I mean, spend hours on this thing. I mean, get it up in a bun and put all kinds of pearls and all kinds of, just make it look incredible. And when they, when people look at you, they ought to go, they ought to take a double look. I mean, they ought to say, wow, she's wealthy. She's really got it, doesn't she? Man, alive. And this particular text is saying, it's not a text that's saying, you know, women should just dress in burlap bags or something like that. It's not the point at all. But it's saying in any culture what can happen is things can shift in such a way that the outward becomes the primary and the inward becomes secondary. And it's a reversal. And so what he says in this text, Paul says, look, 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 don't move in that direction toward the new Roman woman where she's just bringing all the attention to herself and the attention was either brought to herself in such a way that she would look extravagant or licentious. That's what they did. Sound all like our day. I mean, I I suppose a contemporary um, equivalent would perhaps be a uh, licentious pop singer or actress. And look, I don't have to give you names. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, it's one of the things things I worry about um, with three girls. It's with all my heart, I do not want my girls to grow up in such a way that they think to really be significant, to really have meaning in life. I've got to focus on that outside. I've got to look perfect. Everything's got to be just like... I mean, that's the last thing I want with my girl. And don't you feel the same way? I mean, I don't want that. And yet I realize when they turn on the TV... Or when you flip on the computer, that is the message that we're hit with again and again and again. And Paul will have none of it. And neither should we. And so what he says, when he talks about true beauty, he says, look, true beauty is about, if you want to talk about the outside, Paul says, I'll talk about that. It means you dress in a way that elicits respect. By avoiding anything that would be immodest or extravagant. I know for everyone sitting in here, the way we apply that principle will be different. But I'll tell you what's most important is that you're wrestling with it to seek to apply it in your own context, in your own situation. That's what's critical. So, and I've often thought about this too. If I, okay, I'm not a woman, but okay, dream with me here for just a moment. (laughs) But. Now, I'll talk about somebody else that, be, that be, it won't work forget it okay, won't we'll go there but if you think about if you think about it, if a woman is dressing in a way that's extravagant or licentious, where is she drawing the eyes of men right here to herself isn't she and and, and instead it should be drawn to the face and ultimately to the God who the face is reflecting. That's really the way it's supposed to work, isn't it? And so in this text, it says, look, you wrestle with this, but the bottom line is ask yourself, what does it mean for a woman to dress in such a way when somebody looks at them it elicits respect because it's not marked by immodesty or extravagance? That's how ladies ought to dress. You know what the beauty is about that? I don't care who you are. You can do that by God's grace. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Paul doesn't say, look, if you're really going to do this, you've got to spend this much money. No, the beauty of this text is it doesn't work that way at all. The gospel always frees us to be what God's called us to be, doesn't it? And that's what happens here again. So dress in a way that elicits respect, not in a way that's licentious or extravagant and drawing attention to the wrong kinds of things. It's very, very powerful. Okay, Paul, we're, we're getting that one. Um and secondly he says this, which is what he says here in the second verse. Here is what is most important for women who profess godliness, verse ten. That you're marked by good works. Now look, I know part of this will never change. When I have to take a shower and get my hair combed, or my boys do, we can be in and out of the shower, have our hair done in five minutes. Just doesn't seem to work that way with women. I mean, got three girls and a wife, and just has ne- And look, that's just that's life, and we've learned to accept that. And I understand. I mean, my wife was like, "Yeah, but look, your hair is much shorter." I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's it's a it's you're right, you're right. Fair enough, fair enough. So, it, it, and it it doesn't mean women shouldn't care for themselves. Of course, we all realize that's important, and it, it's a good stewardship of the body God's given you. Absolutely. What Paul says here is. Don't emphasize that as being most important, though. I've I've often thought with uh, some people, if they would spend half the time in personal reflection that they spend giving over to those kinds of things, it would make a huge difference in their life. And what Paul says is, if you want to find real beauty, it's about a woman from her heart that focuses on doing good deeds for us. It's it's that inside-out kind of acts where you just say, man, she's quality woman inside. That's right. That's exactly right. And Paul says that kind of adorning, and sometimes the word literally can mean in the Greek, to beautify. That kind of beautifying that focuses on outward respect and an inwardness that produces good, kind deeds for others. Paul pulls back and he says, now there's a beaut. Now that's what he says. But what's Peter say? Flip it over for just a second, if you would, to first Peter chapter three. And he's going to sound almost like a broken record. Not exactly, but pretty close. Look at First Peter chapter three, verses three and four. Peter says, Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or, 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 or the clothing you wear. Now, now, once again, he's not saying don't braid your hair. He's not saying don't put on gold jewelry. Because then he would also be saying don't put on clothes. Right? So that, that's obviously not what he's saying. But, but w- once again, it's all a matter of focus. And what he's saying here in verse 3 is don't put all of your attention on the externals. Remember that verse over in 1 Timothy where Paul says, it's becoming my theme verse now, but he he uses that verse. He says, Godly, I mean, um, exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Now, is he saying by that that we shouldn't exercise? No, of course not. I mean, it's really, really, really important. I mean, that you use opportunities to take care of the body God's given you. I believe that with all my heart. But what's he doing in that verse? He's saying, look. Don't emphasize this one. Emphasize this one, because it's much more central and much more important in your life. And so, yeah, do this, but really do this. Does that make sense? And and um and and, and sometimes when I go to the gym, I'm, I'm a member at the Y, and I go over there and I try to swim. You may not look believe it looking at me, but I do I actually do try to exercise some. But but you know, you go over there sometimes. I see some of the guys that are working out, you know, and You know, when no one else is looking, they're going like, you know, they're kind of looking at themselves. You know what I mean? If you ever go by, if you're ever involved in gyms, you say some of the vainest people you ever come across are in the gym. And I think to myself, if this guy, if this guy would just spend half as much time reading something of value like the Bible, think of the difference it could really make in his life. You know, because that's anyway. But but that's exactly what Peter does here with the beauty thing. So he's saying, he's not saying, look, you don't do these things. He's saying don't focus primarily on these things, verse three. But rather, look at verse four. Let your adorning or let your be let your beautifying, if you will. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. With the I love this next word. What's it say? imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in god's sight is very precious you know all the way through the book of first peter the word that bubbles up again and again is imperishable he says look you have an imperishable um, reward in heaven You've got something in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've trusted him, it will never go anywhere. It is secure. It will never rot, corrupt. It is secure. And here in a text, he talks about something called imperishable beauty. You know, ladies, there is a beauty that will never grow old. It may grow up, but it will never grow old. Because it is of the heart. It is the inner person of a heart, and he, he characterizes it by both a, a gentle and a quiet spirit. Um, she's not here, so I can embarrass her. Um, my wife, um, honestly, and, and I, I really, really mean this. My wife is a model of this. I mean, I mean, people will meet my wife and say, oh, she seems so sweet. I wonder if she's always that way. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, she, always have our times but 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 she i mean th- there's something about my wife i mean i don't know when i when you talk to her and you see her her eyes just kind of glow sometimes and it's because it's all coming from her heart and 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 the beauty is god says if you focus on that heart and and she will often you know sometimes i tend to be a little bit um i can be rash sometimes not rash but rash where i can kind of hey, like come on let's go do something you know Ba-ba-ba. And my wife will be kind of like, honey, it just kind of gentle, quiet. Do you think maybe we should? And she'll kind of pose it sometimes as a question. I know exactly what she's doing, but, but, but it works very effectively, you know? But, you know, she doesn't, what she doesn't say, she doesn't look at me and say, Doug, you are a lughead. Like, what, what are you, nuts? I mean, she doesn't say that. But instead, she, she kind of pulls up beside me with this kind of inner beauty of soul says, honey, what about this or this? And I think to myself, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> you know, it just kind of nails me. But that's what makes her so beautiful. And ladies, that's what can make everyone in here, every woman in here beautiful. Peter's dealing in a very, with a very, diff- in a very difficult context for women. 1 Peter 3 is a woman who is married to a lost man who, frankly, is a pain in the neck. And and in the text, Peter is basically saying, if I could paraphrase, look, you're not going to win him over by stuffing tracks underneath his pillow. It's it's not going to happen. If, If there's going to be any context in which he comes to faith in Jesus Christ, what he will need to see is a loving, gracious wife. That's what he'll need to see. And so Peter says, even though you're afraid, because you trust me, you can step out. And you can be that wife that affirms him as much as obedience to Christ will allow. There comes a limit where you say, no way, it's not going to happen because Christ is my master, not you. Absolutely. I'm not, and I'm not disagreeing with any of that. That's absolutely appropriate. But Peter sets up a whole model. If you're going to win this guy, he just keeps seeing Christ in you with everything you do and in God's good grace for some husbands. Not all, of course. Some are won over because of the way the woman lives her life. It's a marvelous text. And, and and Peter says, when I look at a woman like that, I see beauty that's never going to fade. It, it will never leave her, regardless of what that guy does at the end of the day. There is a beautiful woman. You see, folks? Do, do you see the power of the gospel? It comes to every woman and says, look, if you allow me to transfer you from the inside out, you are beautiful in my eyes. And you will be beautiful in the eyes of those that see like me. I love it. You can't go wrong. Now, second question very quickly, and and try to draw this together. What difference does it really make? First of all, staying in 1 Peter chapter 3 for just a moment. First thing I'd want to say is, it is of great value to God. Look look again at verse 4. Which in God's sight is very precious. Um, We have some young ladies with us here today, teenage girls. I guess I'd say this to you, to the teenage girls that are with us today and everybody, everybody. But young ladies, as you grow up, do not focus on what the world tells you beauty is all about. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter who that pop singer is, because you know what? They'll be they'll drop from the top ten and somebody else will be up there the next month. I mean, that stuff is so changing. I don't want to live my life for those people, period. Young ladies, live your life in such a way that the God who loves you and says, I'm most interested in your inner beauty and character. Yeah, take care of the outside. Of course, of course. Be a good steward. But focus on the heart. Because when God looks back, God looks at that and says, that is precious. You ever see that commercial? I'll get it wrong because I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I think it's Visa or MasterCard, one of them, you know. Taking your son here, $100. Gone there, $50. Um, time with the family, priceless, right? Isn't that what it is? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. It's a nice commercial. That's exactly what this text is saying. When God looks at a young lady or a woman, a young woman or an older woman, doesn't matter, and he sees that young woman focusing on the heart. Says, man, that's priceless to me. That would be the kind of commercial God would do about you when you live like that. Isn't that amazing? And that is something every woman in here can experience if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the beauty of the gospel. Okay, that's cool. God likes it. I'm all for that. What, any other benefits? There sure is. Go back to 1 Timothy for just a second. First Timothy chapter two. Sometimes, um, when I've read this passage in the past, it, 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 it hasn't always struck me. How is it all connected? I mean, because Paul starts out in first Timothy chapter two, like talking about prayer, which I'm all for. Okay. Then he has this section where he talks about, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Okay, like, like that's, that's cool. It's the gospel. Then he has this therefore, and he says men ought to, when they pray, they ought to lift holy hands. Okay, good. And then women ought to adorn themselves with good works. You think, like, how is that whole thing fitting together, right? Here's what ha- what's happening, folks. And follow me here. It's very, very powerful. In, um, in verses 1 and 2. Paul is talking about the power of prayer to transform lives. And he calls us as a group to come together and he says, "Look, first of all, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for for all people, not select people, for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way." Now, is Paul saying when you guys get together and pray, you know, just pray, Lord, make my life easy. Is that what he means there at the end of verse like, two? I want an easy, simple, comfortable life. Now, the book is all about suffering and persecution. Can't be that. The same phrase is used by Paul over in First Thessalonians chapter four, and what he's getting at when he talks about a tranquil and, and, and tranquil life and quiet life, he's talking about a life lived in the world in such a way that we begin to model for the world what the gospel looks like when it's lived out in lives. So he says, look, I want you to pray for everybody you can possibly think of. There's nobody outside of the scope of our prayer. Pray for that they'll come to faith in Christ. Pray that they would know him. Pray for kings, the people that are in authority. Pray in such a way that that we can live lives that becomes a beautiful context through which the gospel can work. Does that make sense? And and Paul goes on to say, let me tell you why that's so important, verse 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So what he says in verses three to seven, is this? Look, God has a heart for people. There's one God. You know, people say, "Well, you know, I think you can get, you can get, get to heaven maybe four or five ways. You know, try this religion, that religion. Like, what's the matter? You know what? You know what the problem with that is? There's only one God, and He makes the rules. I mean, He provides the way. Right? So there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man. How will I ever get to God? Ah, God the Son has come to die in my place as we sang today. So that He takes my sin and He gives me His righteousness. And there's one God. There's only one way. And there's only one mediator. And this mediator and this God loves all people. Paul says, so much is that the case that I became a preacher, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles too, because God loves everybody. See, that's the movement of the the text. We're praying for everybody so that we can live out the gospel before them. Why? Because God loves everybody. That's why he sent his son. Now, look at what he does here in verse 8. I desire then, you see? See how it's all drawing together? that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and quarreling. So he looks out at the guys. and He says, look, when you pray, it should be out of a heart that's not angry and bitter and upset. It should be settled. It should be calm. So when you lift up those holy hands before God and you say, God, I love you with all my heart. You mean it. And anybody standing around looks at you and doesn't say, look at old Joe over there singing. Man, I know what he does on Monday. He yells and screams at his kids like you can't possibly imagine. Now he's praising God in front of us. What a hypocrite. Paul says, don't do that. You you want to have a format, a context, a platform. We're we're not perfect people, but but people that truly love God from the inside out. It impacts all of their life. And so what I want you to do, I I want you to lift up holy hands because the holiness is true in your heart. And you're not a person who's holding into anger and all that. No, 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 that stuff's gone. So people can look at old Joe over there. and and If your name's Joe, I'm not thinking of you. you, Sorry. But he's looking at Joe over there and saying, I mean, I don't know if I buy into this Jesus stuff, but Joe does, and he's sincere about it through and through. See, that's the point of the text. The greatest argument for Christianity and against Christianity—you know what it is? It's Christianity. It's us. And then notice what he says here in verse eight and verse nine. Likewise, also. That women. Do you see what he's doing, ladies? Guys, I want you to be sincere and right and true before me. And ladies, I want you to dress in such a way and focus on the heart in such a way that it becomes a platform from which the gospel can work. You see, so, ladies, what you do individually, young ladies, what you do individually is part of something much bigger then what am I going to put on today? What's my hair look like? (laughs) It's it's so much bigger. It's the gospel. And God says, look, when you get up and when you set your agenda and when you say, what should I look like and what shouldn't I look like and what should I be doing in my heart right now, when you ask all that question, all those questions, you're asking all the right questions. When you say, God, I want to dress and live in such a way that I beautify the gospel. Because a woman that beautifies the gospel is beautiful. And that's where the focus needs to be. The writer of Proverbs gets to the end, chapter 31. He gives us this incredible picture of a woman, doesn't he? I mean, wow. And he makes this interesting statement in Proverbs thirty-one thirty says, beauty is fleeting, but a woman that fears the Lord will be praised. I love that text. And ladies, I don't know how else to tell you this, but to say it to you again and again, the gospel frees ladies to live as God has designed them to be. And when you do, God says, that is precious in my eyes. And that will be the platform from which I will reach a lost and dying world. Isn't that great? Some of you young mothers with children are thinking to yourself, will I ever make it through? You know? Or or maybe you're in a very, very difficult marital situation. I don't know where you find yourself. But I know if you focus on what's most important from God's perspective, you will never regret it at the end of the day. And let me say something else. God will use you in ways that you may never know until eternity. Let him make you beautiful. Father,